You know, sadness is, which has happened to me, you go into a place, into a, a place where we were traveling, and you order your little breakfast, and then you find out that actually there was a buffet. How come you didn't want the buffet? Like, buffet, I didn't know there was one. And the other sad part is if there is a buffet and uh, it may be spread out over several locations and if you miss the location, you miss a whole section. And I get really disappointed if I miss the smoked fish because it's the Dane in me. And it's marvelous. <laughs> so I hate going to a buffet and then finding out that I missed something out. You know, the Bible says that uh, <clears throat> we are partakers of the divine nature. And I'm here to tell you it's a buffet. The Lord has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies and is not sparsely prepared. It is prepared with all manner of good things. Arise and eat. (laughs) Hallelujah. The other thing about buffets that I get upset over is I have very limited capacity. And if you go to uh, Mandarin, there are like 3,000 items on the buffet, so only if you take one molecule of each, you still have a full plate. <laughs> it's like, I get it all, it's like, oh, I don't have room for this, my plate's like this, no. I really have um, uh, jealous, I have jealousy when I watch some of the way people load up their plates, because <laughs> I can't eat all that. So a limited appetite. May, may the Lord give us a bigger appetite for the divine nature. So I'm here to actually help you get a bigger appetite for it. Because I think there's a lot of things we miss out on if we don't know. Or if um, we limit the, it to our own capacity, you can actually have the fullness of God to his capacity. Amen. What I do is explore it and uh, see what all is there. Then I make a mental calculation as to which things would be most appropriate for me to eat. <laughs> and then I consult with Janet and she tells me no. Uh, <laughs> But I've also noticed, uh, I mean, I remember growing up, we would go to a sugaring off. I mean, people know what sugaring off is. If you've been from Quebec, you know what that is. Or if you've visited, it's where you go to the sugar shacks where they're doing the maple syrup stuff. And then you go and they have this great big barn-like place. And you go and sit. And then there's ample food with all these other stuff that comes in. Uh, and, I mean, it's marvelous. If you like maple syrup, it's on everything. Uh, and uh, so it's really, really nice. I like that. So when we used to go there all the time, as, and we bring our kids, of course. Now, my oldest son is a very picky eater. Now, you imagine going to one of these places, paying 40 bucks, and all he eats is five buns. Because <laughs> he's a picky eater. He's done a lot better now. He eats stuff I wouldn't eat, but uh, anyway... <laughs> So, uh, you know, we can be picky eaters, too, when it comes to eating at the table of the Lord. And we pick and choose. We like this, but we don't like this gift. I don't want that. I don't want this. No, I don't want that. Oh, I, I can't do that. I'm too shy. I'm this, I'm that. I'm this, I'm that. Oh, you're picky. Take what is set before you and eat it. You will like it. Yeah, so piggy eaters. I think when I go to when we go to a buffet, when you go to the table of the Lord, go for gold. Amen. Take everything that there is. Be partakers of His divine nature. It's a wonderful buffet, and it's all you can eat and more. Uh, did you know there is a buffet? So 
where Scripture says that Christ is God's mystery, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. So we have to discover, we have to explore, there's something to what the Lord is in us. We talked last week about the incarnation, about how God became man. He became man not for his own benefit. He became man for our benefit. He came, he came and became man because he loves his creation. Go into all the world and give the good news to the all creation. I like that. I, I hadn't remembered that it was all creation. I think of it as being all, you know, we can preach to the trees. Yes, I preached in my vegetable garden. It's a wonderful thing. I preached to my apple tree. I got apples coming out of my ears now. No, you can preach. Good news. God is not just interested in heaven. The scripture says he's given all that you need pertaining to life. Somebody say life. life. When is life? This is life. Yes. To life and to godliness. So it's not like either or. You've got to be a Christian and no, no earthly minded. Don't enjoy the things of... I love the things on earth. God has made it, and I enjoy it. Amen. Amen. There's no, there's no uh, deprivation does not make you more holy. It's just a matter of what controls you. And so for life and godliness, seek first the things of heaven and the things of the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you, not subtracted. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, I remember growing up thinking that, oh, to become a Christian, think all the things I'll have to give up. Nonsense. Most of what people strive for are things God would like to give you anyway, but he'd like you to take it from his hand. Hallelujah. So, you know, we can think of, the, of why people, why do people come to the Lord? Why do people come to church? Usually people come to church because they need something. So Jesus actually preached the gospel to the poor and the needy, those who were sick. They came to him, they, bore, they brought their sick, they brought, and they came for healing. They came, some came for bread, some came for the hope of political freedom. They came for a lot of different reasons, but all of them, if you look at it, a lot of them were earth-bound reasons. They came because they were hungry. When they were no hungry, they left. People come to church because they have a need, and when the need gets met, they don't bother coming again. And when people are healed, just like in Jesus' day, nine out of ten don't bother coming back. Well, I got what I wanted. God will give you what you want. But you better take what he wants to have you have, because it's far better. I has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for them that love him. So stay tuned. It's a big table. Only a few come because they're hungry and thirsty. They want all that there is in the mystery of the relationship between God and man. And it's not just about getting to heaven. But it is, and it's not just about being delivered from earthly oppression, but it is to have a connection with God eternal. That's really what it's all about. Incarnation was God coming into man. Christ is now in you. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead is still in Christ. In Christ, the fullness of God is now in you. We need to let that sink in. We need to, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, here, here's a, a way of thinking about it. He wants us 
to be soulmates. Does anybody know what a soulmate is? We'll describe it in a minute. But a soulmate, he wants us to be connected. That, that stirred up the romance in Brian right there. <laughs> God, wants, God wants a soulmate. Jesus wants a bride. He wants a soulmate. So we're going to just describe that a little bit. But I was, I was reading in John 15. Do you remember in John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Do you remember that? You know what struck me? It took three and a half years before of his ministry before he could tell him, well, you're my friends now. What were they before? Servants. So a lot of people follow as servants, but not a lot of people can become friends. That's what, I think it's along the same lines where it takes a certain kind of intimacy where Jesus said, I call you friends because uh, a servant doesn't know what, what his master is going to do. But now I call you friends because you're going to know what I'm doing. You're going to have an intimate relationship where, with me where we share things on a peer level. Even though, I mean, Jesus is, is, Jesus is royalty. He's the king of kings. But we're also royal priesthood. And so we share, on, in one sense, in a different level when we come into that intimate relationship with God. Where we come into a place where he calls us friends. So that you can be a servant or you can be a friend. And sometimes it takes a little journey before you can come into that place of intimacy where you actually are friends, where he shares with you things that are of a nature, an intimate nature. So we were watching a, on the royal family, for example. We were watching a, a documentary on the royal family and uh, how uh, when she became the queen, everything changed. He had to walk four steps behind her after that and, sub and, and subdue all his own ambitions to satisfy hers because she was royalty. So we are in a position with the Lord. It does make a difference that he's the king of kings. But at the same time, uh, you know, Elizabeth and Philip were husband and wife, so they still, had, they still had that kind of different dimension of relationship. But we also have a dimension of relationship with the Lord where we are friends. And this is what most people don't actually, most Christians do not get into that that dimension of relationship. Most Christians are still at the servant level. What can I do? What do I do? How can I further your, your things and so on? Wonderful. Good. Even a son can still be a servant. Even though we're in a relationship with him, he, he's still the king of kings. But why not have that dimension? Because actually you will accomplish more when you're in that intimate relationship than you will if you're as a servant. Because God entrusts things to his sons that he will not entrust to his servants. Amen. So, soulmates. So I was uh, looking up what are, what are characteristics of soulmates, and there are actually kind of ten characteristics that uh, uh, were described in this article that I read. Ten characteristics of soulmates. It's kind of small writing, isn't it? It's even smaller in my computer. Again. <laughs> All right. Uh, first characteristic is that a soulmate is something inside you can't fully put to words. Uh, it, is, it is tenacious. It doesn't give up. It's profound. It's lingering emotion, which no words can totally encompass. It's some, something uh, je ne sais quoi in French. 
uh, I don't really know what it is. I can't really define what it is. But you're joined, you're bonded together in a supernatural and wonder. In a, well, it's a natural way, but you're bonded together. And when we relate to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't totally define what that is. Because you, you, it's better felt than telt, somebody said. So you come into that relationship with him and you know you've got it. When you've encountered the Lord, you know. And it changes you forever. And even with life's ups and downs and you wander away, you detour, you whatever, that bond is still there. God has his love hook in you. And he draws you back. He draws you back. So it's something that you're, you can't totally define. Uh, it is like you've known each other forever. A custom and natural fit. It's like you've known each other forever. When you're in that kind of a, a relationship where you kind of know each other forever. And, uh, and so it is with the Lord. It's like, I, I mean, I find that when people come to the Lord, there's some that come in and it's a natural fit. They just fit right in. And it's like, you don't have to actually even teach them an awful lot because it seems to come to them naturally. Well, of course this is the way it is. You don't realize that theologians argue over these things for decades, for a whole lifetime. They set, take positions on certain things. And for you, you come in and it's like, well, I don't need a discussion about this. I have a relationship with the Lord and he tells me what it's like. I know what it's like. I don't have to be explained. Amen. Amen. Wow, it's like you've known each other forever. It's just, uh, you just get each other. Sometimes you finish each other's sentences. So if you're, some of the married couples will know what that's all about. You finish each other's sentences. You kind of, you're kind of bonded together in, in a really, it's an unconditional love. And sometimes you even love each other because of the flaws. Because they're cute. How many guys have told their wives they're cute? The rest of you, uh, you better watch it. <laughs> uh, it's an intense relationship and focus, that focuses on, on resolving any separation issues. So when you're in a relationship with the Lord, you know when, when you have sinned, it's not about the bad thing or bad thing you've done. It's about separating yourself from the love of Jesus. And you can feel that, and you don't want that. Uh, even, uh, even David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he could feel the difference. On the other side, Samson, who was a strong man, the Holy Spirit left him, and he didn't even realize he'd gone. So it's about having that bond and that relationship. Samson had that bond, had a, a gift, but he didn't have the bond. Amen? But uh, David, on the other hand, had the bond, even though he blew it. He broke every one of the Ten Commandments. But he had a bond with the Lord, and that's what kept him in. So that bond is really significant. That's what it means that you love from the soul. feel like it's two against the world. You face anything as long as you have each other. And I think we could say the same with the Lord. You're mentally inseparable. Soulmates have a mental connection similar to twins. This is psychology, by the way. I, just, I thought it was kind of interesting, though. And when we are mentally inseparable from the Lord, we have the mind of Christ. We think like him. We talk like we can finish. We know what sentence, what the end of the sentence is when he speaks to us. You feel secure and protected, each other's strong defenders. You cannot imagine life without each other. You look each other in the eye. Soulmates have a tendency to look into each other's eyes when speaking more often than ordinary couples. 
that comes naturally from deep-seated connection between them, looking a person in the eye when speaking denotes a high level of comfort and confidence. He speaks to us eye to eye. We see eye to eye. Amen? Theoretically. <laughs> yes, dear. That's also a good word. Uh, never mind. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I can sense the discomfort here in the room. <laughs> well, we just got the eye. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> all right, so what, well, coming back to what I said, there's a dimension of relationship that I believe the Lord wants us to have that for the most part we either shy or we're not sure. We didn't know we could have it. We didn't realize it was there. Uh, but that we can, in fact, have, and God wants us to know that we can have that. He wants us to have a relationship with Father God uh, that is not conditioned on our experience of our natural fathers. He wants us to have a relationship with a, as a bride to a groom without, without it uh, being restricted by our experience in life because he is better than life. Amen. Hallelujah. He is... The Lord, And when you're in that kind of protected relationship, it affects your relationship with each other as well. Because you're now comfortable and confident. So here's the question that, I, that came to my mind, because uh, I have a weird mind sometimes. Uh, does God have a soul? Does Jesus have a soul? What is a soul? Uh, not quite. That isn't kind of the way I see it, but, um, but who am I to argue with these brilliant people? Uh, and then other people say that the soul is totally connected to the body. And when the body dies, the soul goes to sleep. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, Mormons believe it, a lot of Seventh-day Adventists believe it, a lot of people believe that. I don't believe that. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Something is present with the Lord. Not my, not, I'm not sleeping in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> This day you'll be with me in paradise, but you'll be sleeping. I don't think so. <laughs> so I don't really get that. But uh, So the question is, well, Jesus is fully human, so certainly he has a soul. Uh, and Jesus is God, so therefore God has a soul. So what is a soul anyways? I, I don't really know, but one of the char three characteristics of a soul generally are you have emotions, you're, you're sentient, you have emotions, you feel things. Does God feel things? Yes. Does Jesus feel things? Yes. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities and our weaknesses. So Jesus feels. He has emotions. God has emotions. Would you say God has emotions? Would you say love is an emotion? Yes. So therefore, God is love. It's a definition of emotion. Yes. We're in the image of God. We didn't create God in our image. He created us in his image. So therefore, he does have emotion. Does he have a will? Why, certainly he has a will. He does everything in conformity with his will. So he has a will. Part of our soul is that we have a will. Does God have a mind? Most assuredly, he's the most brilliant being in the universe. So he has a mind. He has a, he has a mind, he has emotion, and he has will. So very often people define, and again, this is coming uh, maybe an arbitrary model, but uh, you do, we define our soul as our mind, will, and emotion. It's our person. How do you define your person? And God is his person. He is a person. In fact, he's three persons. 
joined together in one. That's kind of why I think also we're body, soul, and spirit, because I like the number three. Uh, and uh, so he is, does God have a soul? God is spirit, but so that means that a spirit can have the characteristics of a soul. Uh, that is will, light, will, mind, and emotion. God has a will. God has a mind. God is light. God is spirit. God is light. God is love. So relationship is with person to person. And we have to say, yes, God is a person, so we can have a relationship with him as a person. A lot of people have a relationship with God not on a personal level, but rather on a theoretical level or on a I want this level. And could you help me out of this problem level? Or where was God when I needed him? What have you done for me lately? It's like servant, like some kind of a thing. God is not a thing. He's a person. Holy Spirit is not an influence. He is a person. Jesus is not some historical figure or some mythological figure. He is a person. He is a person who is alive and well right now. Hallelujah. So, Jesus actually is the perfect model of what a soulmate with God is. Hello, Austin. He's running the race. It's okay. Um, so, God is a person. He always did what his father was doing. He always uh, listened to what his father had to say and spoke what his father said. He's a perfect in perfect harmony and in mind sync with his eternal Father. Jesus also wants a soulmate, and that is the church. That is you as a believer. He wants you as a soulmate. How do you get to the place where you always hear what the Father's saying, you always say what he's saying, you always do what he's doing? How do you get in that place? It's by intimate relationship. How do you get there? Not by, oh, Lord, I want more power. No, you get into, oh, Lord, I want more you. That's how we fit that role. He wants one who's a perfect match for him. Uh, when God made Eve, she was a perfect match for Adam. Because it was not good for Adam to be alone. Perfect match. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That's why Jesus is, that actually is pointing ahead to the relationship between God and man. Jesus could say also, we are the bride of Christ. And, he, and just uh, in that same way, uh, he looks and says, well, you're flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. We are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. We share a life together. Hallelujah. That's how we come into that perfect and beautiful relationship. When we see God as a person, we see him in that personal relationship, and we develop fellowship, we develop fellowship with him. Relationship develops through two things. Fellowship with God. Relationship develops through two things. How do we improve our relationship? How do we get more of the buffet? How do we improve our relationship? It's through fellowship and through obedience. I want to talk about those two things just briefly. <clears throat> fellowship and obedience to the person. Not to the concepts. Not to the rules. Not to a third party telling you what to do. I mean, God can use a third party. He does have rules. There are things he should do. But that's, that's only because he's not getting through to you. 
the idea is God wants a relationship where he can speak and tell you exactly what's what and be able to talk to you. And he does it in a loving way. It's fellowship. Fellowship and obedience to the person. Right? I keep, I'm going to keep emphasizing that because that's where I think the lack is. We tend to make God a concept because we haven't seen him. How can you love someone you haven't seen? But blessed are you if you love whom you have not seen. So, you see not yet, you believe, right? Thank you. She completes my sentences already. It's wonderful. So, relationship comes with a person, comes through fellowship and harmonizing obedience. I call it harmonizing because obedience tends to make you think of one person higher and the other person lower. That's not God's intention. He likes us to be soulmates, which means that he treats us with equality. <coughs> he asks you, what would you like? Well, I would like whatever you like. No, tell me what you would like. It's harmonizing obedience. <coughs> I have a bit of a cold, so nobody shake my hand. So I, uh, that, that, that word is important. The harmonizing part is important. So let's um, just explore that a little bit. So let's look at some of the things that the Bible says that God is. And it's interesting that God is love. It's more than saying God has love. It's, a, it's one of the defining characteristics. It's part of the essence of who God is. God is love. God is light. That is, he's moral light. He's enlightenment. He's imagination. He's brilliance. He is glory. Light is not just moral light, it's brilliance. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. It's brilliance. Man, I mean, just look at nature around you. Isn't it brilliant? Just, look, just take a look next time somebody gives, ladies, next time your husband brings you a flower. That's a hint, guys. Uh, you have a close look at that flower. It's brilliantly designed. When, when David said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, I think he got a little bit of an insight into the wonder of who we are. I mean, there's billions of us around, so you kind of think, well, it's common. And we're all comparing ourselves to each other. You know, every one of you is brilliant. You're a brilliant creation. Amen. How God does that out of a little seed and creates the you that you are. Are you kidding? That is amazing. You go home and try to build yourself out of Lego. That takes a long time. Well, God made you so you ba- so that you, you self-created yourself, sort of, out of, an, out of that little egg that combined there, like, boom, out comes you. Like, are you kidding? That's amazing. So brilliance and enlightenment, the light of God is more than, than it is bringing something out of darkness into light, out of, out of fear and into reality, out of uh, something which is mundane into something that is absolutely brilliant. God wants to share with you his brilliance. Amen. 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 Woo. So we need to have fellowship and we need to have harmonizing obedience. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm already departing now. Anyway. Yeah. 
What makes God have pleasure? What, what gives God pleasure? When we have fellowship, God has pleasure. God is love. So when he sees love in us, it gives him pleasure. Amen. So he gets pleasure when we love one another from the heart. He takes joy. You're like his soulmate. When you can love somebody that he loves, you're his soulmate. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's not because you have to. It's because you want to. It's because you almost can't help yourself. You love somebody, you can't even help yourself. Like, why do I love that person? And you then, and God loves it when you invest in other people's lives. Because that's what he would do. That's what he did. He invested in us. When we look like a lost cause. When we seek and are in awe at revelation. How many people like revelation? I love revelation. I love it because it's like, wow, my eyes get enlightened. My soul gets enlightened. And Revelation is, is about life and God in us. It's about both. It's also about life, where you get a revelation of how to live life to its full, provided, and live life to the max of what he has provided. And even in times of deprivation, you can still live life to the full. He likes it when we exercise forgiveness. I think Joel preached uh, this is one of the superpowers of believers. He likes it when you use that superpower. Because it releases other people, but it also releases you. What you don't realize is if you're holding a grudge, that grudge is holding you. You're in a grudge prison. And it just doesn't help you. So it's like having a bad debt, a check. Somebody owes you a bad debt and they can't, you can't collect from them because they're either dead or deadbeat, one or the other. <laughs> and you can't collect it from them. What does the Lord say to do that? Vengeance is mine. I will repay you. I will compensate you. Turn the debt over to me. Send it to the God Collection Agency. Let them handle it. I don't know if you've ever had a call from a collection agency. There can be really cr tough on you, man. Not that I have, but I know people who have. <laughs> we send it to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And God will exact whatever he needs from that person. I mean, he may also forgive that person. And if he forgives that person, you have to be okay with that. Because he's going to repay you. That person can't compensate you. Why are you sticking yourself to, a, to someone who's dead or deadbeat? Don't bother. Release yourself. Hallelujah. He enjoys it when we have fellowship with him in the spirit. One of the big revelations I had one time, because I always thought, you know what, I need to fellowship with the Lord. I need to enjoy his company. And then he said, you know what, I enjoy your company. What? That was a shock. Why would he enjoy my company? I'm just a little, you know, I'm, I'm a worm and less than a worm. No, you're not. You're the son of God. You're a son of God. I enjoy your company. Come sit on my knee. What? Abba, Father. He enjoys it when we receive comfort from him. You cannot escape tragedy in life. You cannot escape suffering. Is part of what this world is all about. It's broken. 
you're, you're living in the world, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, sort of tragedies. If you happen to live in some other country other than, we're blessed here in Canada, but if we live in some other country, you're not so blessed. But you can still enjoy and choose to have fellowship with him, trust and rely on him. And when you do and he comes through for you in those times of difficulty, in the time of storm, that's an amazing thing. And he loves it when you choose to find comfort in him. And he sees you through the storm. And when we act in the interest of the kingdom. Wow, what was that? The Lord takes pleasure in our fellowship with him and with each other. This is joy and fellowship. Uh, we, walk in the, we walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship with each other. God loves fellowship. What does fellowship look like between believers? Fellowship with believers is not just talking about curtains or where we're going to eat next. It's about talking about the deep things of God. It's about talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, about sharing your testimony. It's about, about talking about the Lord. And it's about getting excited about the Lord with each other. You know, you can stir each other up to love and to good works. Uh, why not do that? And when you do that, God has pleasure in that because you're actually breaking the bread of life. Expend what you've got. Give it away. Talk to people. Share with people. Tell people. Get excited about the Lord. God likes that. We walk in the light. When we're not blind, we're not, we're not closing our eyes, we're not sleeping in the light. When we look and enjoy revelation, when we grow in the knowledge of Christ and exercise the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, we can grow in the knowledge of Christ. We can grow in Him. Abba, Father. God likes fellowship. You know, uh, when you read that scripture, uh, the spirit of the Son is in us crying, Abba, Father. Why do you think He's crying? Why is He crying? No, no, I think we got it wrong. He's not crying because he's sorrowful. I don't think so. I think he's crying because he's really happy. You know, in, uh, in a couple of hours, we'll have an influx of baby girls coming into our house. And when they come through the door, they are crying out, Grandma! Grandma! It's wild. It's like Florence goes like this. They're crying out. Why? Because they enjoy the relationship. They enjoy coming to Grandma's house where anything goes. <laughs> and then they come. And they're, they're all excited about Grandma. Big hugs, big kisses. Blah, blah, blah. I want a drink. Now the cries and the tears and the petitions come out. <laughs> I want a drink. I want a fruit snack. I want this. I want that. I want this. That's like Abba Father, you know. We're coming into God's presence. He likes us to come into God's. Do you think maybe Grandma likes that? What do you think? Yeah, she loves that. Coming in and they're all in a fuss. I took a picture. They're all climbing all over this morning. Uh, why is that? Well, that's, you know, why can we not have a relationship like that with our Heavenly Father? Oh, he's the King of glory. He's too remote. He's, he loves me from a distance. Nonsense. And, you know, we need to pursue that. That God has done his part. He's sent his son. He incarnated him as a human being. The ball's in your court. So now we need to go the other way and say, okay, since I have this and I can have a relationship with him, it may be something you didn't even know you could have. 
you probably have a, can have a relationship with God you didn't even realize you could have yet. And when you begin to pursue it and you get it, then don't be intimidated by not knowing everything. The one thing you need to know is him. Not, it's not about him. It's not about the theory of Jesus. It is the person of Jesus. When you know him, the theories get, are quite easy. It's amazing. When you fall in love with somebody, it's amazing how quickly you get to know them. And you're interested in them as a person, not just what they can do. You're interested in them as a person, not just what they can give you. You're interested in them because you want to know who they are. You're, you're exploring their personality and their who they are, and you want to join together in that way. That's part of a relationship of love. And God wants to have that kind of relationship with you and with me. Amen. Joy, finally, joy of obedience. You know, the Lord takes pleasure in our obedience. Not so much because I said do this and you do it, but more because your will and his will are harmonizing. I delight to do your will. I delight to do the will of God because you're harmonizing your will and his will together. What I've discovered is when there's a contest of wills, God's will is usually right. Mine is usually short, short of something. It's your will. Okay, I, I think I'd like to go here tomorrow. But nevertheless, let me say, if it's your will, is it your will? Should I go there tomorrow? And, and so you're getting into a habit where whatever you're doing, you're doing in communion with God and his spirit. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord. Do all in that place where you're in that communion with him. And you're doing this habitually. And when you're doing that habitually, you don't even need to ask. Because your will and his will align so perfectly, you can't separate them. So, you know, as part of the, the training that we have as, as children of God is to harmonize ourselves with his will. When you're bringing up children, that's what you do. You're trying to... You're trying to put your sense of good judgment into them. You're trying to bring them up where, and because the time comes where they, you, can't, you can't micromanage your children because they're now old enough to make up their own minds. And you shouldn't try to micromanage them or you'll be cut off. So you need to, but what you do when they're little is you're, you're trying to bring your sense of values and judgment and how you do things. You're doing that as they're little. God is doing that with us too. He's training us in that way. But the time comes when his will and your will are inseparable. I don't think Jesus had to say, Father, is it your will that I should heal this person? I don't think that even crossed his mind. Because his will and God's will were so in sync that there was no need to actually make a formal request to find out what the will is. Amen? That's God's intent for us too. So we're growing in that way. So we need to take away the whole concept. The human concept we have of submission and obedience is very limiting because we're not seeing it as relationship bound. We're not seeing it as God is light, God is love, God is spirit. When we see it in that way, in that person, then that makes him our personal savior, our personal mentor, our personal shepherd, our personal love, the love of our life. Amen. Amen. I found the one my soul loves. Song of Solomon. That's actually the Lord says, I found the one my soul loves. And we say, I found the one my soul loves. When we've discovered the Lord in that way, nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I have found the one my soul loves. It overrules everything else that could come to try to, dis to, to separate us. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's part of the incarnation is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
That's part of what he came to do. He came to have that kind of a relationship with us. For most people, this is news. The good news is it's good news. So by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel we have to go preach to all of creation. It's the love of God. It's the light of God. We need to demonstrate it, model it. People see the love of God in you. People see the light of God. You are the light of the world because we are the body of Christ. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you to go after that relationship because I think in it is the power that we need to affect and to make change. God will entrust power to the ones who are his sons. All right? Are we okay? Let's pray together. Maybe you'd like to stand. Let's change your position. Done well. Thank you for listening intently. And to his sons. Let us receive with open hearts. Open my heart, Lord. Open my eyes. Open my mind. Open my ears. Let me sense the reality of your life blended with mine. I want to give you pleasure in life. Take pleasure in my life and in what I do so that your love might be made and your joy might be made full in me. I give myself to you now, Holy Spirit. Let me experience your, your presence now. Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a clap offering. Yay. Hallelujah.